0: Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious truth that we have just sung. And as we come now to the preaching of your holy word, we pray that you would give us ready minds and open hearts to receive, to understand your word. Would we not look into it as a mirror and turn away and immediately forget, but rather would we walk away tonight, put this word into practice in our lives, and bear good fruit for your glory. For We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Open your Bibles to our sermon text tonight, uh, the full letter of Second John in your pre-Bibles, page 1025. The Second John, it's just one chapter, we'll read the entire letter. Here now, this is God's holy, infallible word I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the father and the son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, does not, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. We finished working our way through John's first letter and tonight we come to what we call the second letter of John. Though brief, this letter is rich. It contains many themes that are shared with first John, but it also has some emphases that are unique to itself. In particular tonight we'll focus on the major theme of abiding in both truth and love. In our culture today, truth and love are often contrasted sometimes as if they have nothing to do with one another. Truth is sometimes said to be all to do with the mind and has nothing to do with love, which is all about the heart and the emotions. Or they're set against each other as if they are contradictory forces. You must choose either one or the other. Will you love someone and tell them lies to keep them happy? Or will you tell them the truth, even though it hurts? But of course, John exhorts us to do both to abide in Christ, who is the embodiment of both truth and love. And so, you must abide in both truth and love. So we have much to learn here tonight from this letter, Second John. We'll work our way through it, section by section, verse by verse, as you can see in your outline. But first, we'll begin with a few questions of introduction about the nature of this letter. First, we notice it's a bit more personal, than 1 John. It both opens and closes with more personal greetings and farewells than 1 John, much like Paul's and Peter's letters. And here, what's particularly interesting and gives us some real clues about the letter in the earliest manuscript copies we have, this letter is always found copied alongside 1 John. And while we don't know this for sure, this seems to indicate that it was sent alongside 1 John, perhaps as a cover letter. The two letters may have even been originally written together on one sheet of paper and sent along together to the same church. If that's the case, it would actually explain why 1 John doesn't have the normal greetings and farewell that we would expect. They are actually here in 2 John, here in the cover letter. In many ways, this is the introduction, while the meat of what John has to say to this church is in 1 John. You can think of sending an email, and you just send a little introduction in the cover letter of the email and say, the bulk of what I've written, see the attachment. So with that said, now let's look at the opening in verses 1 through 4. The greeting is found in verses 1 and 2. First, the author identifies himself simply as the elder, referring to his office as a church elder. It is clear from both the similarity of language and the link between this letter and First John, John that this is the Apostle John, the beloved disciple. The recipients of the letter are identified as the elect lady and her children, which is really a beautiful way of referring to a particular congregation, a particular church, referring to her her as God's chosen people. This word translated lady is the Greek word "Kuria." It's the female form of kurios, which is the title of our Lord, kurios, Lord Jesus Christ. You might think of someone addressing a a, a gathering of noblemen and noblewomen, and they would address them as my lords and ladies. And so this really is an exalted title that's given to the church, the elect lady. Just as in 1st and 3rd John, we don't know exactly which church John is writing to, although most scholars believe that John is writing from Ephesus and writing to another church in that region in the southeast of modern-day Turkey. Uh, Most likely, he's writing to one of the same seven churches that are also mentioned in the seven letters in Revelation 2 and 3, which are also there in that same region. In his greeting, John says he loves this church in the truth, that is, according to the truth that is found in Jesus Christ, and this truth that is, is, in fact, is Jesus, along with all those who know this truth. And he expands on this in verse 2, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. This truth is not only the source of this love, but also, as Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, it is the source of this eternal life which allows this love to go on forever. Forever. So we already see in these first two verses, John is introducing some of these major themes, which will expand on even further, even in this brief letter. The themes of love, of truth, of abiding, of unity in the church. Then in verse 3, we have a wonderful blessing. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. From God the Father, and from Jesus Christ, the Father, Son, in truth and love. You've seen similar blessings in the other New Testament letters. You've heard one at the beginning of every service here at Church of the Covenant, that this really is a full, a beautiful blessing here in 2 John. Let me just highlight a few things that stand out as unique compared to other blessings in the other letters. First, notice the title that he gives to Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. He wants to emphasize the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father's son. And then notice the way he closes it. In truth and love, he keeps emphasizing these two themes. And then following the typical pattern of New Testament letters, the greeting is followed by a thanksgiving. And here, John gives his thanksgiving by speaking of why he rejoices. Verse 4, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. John rejoices that they are walking in the truth, but why does he rejoice only over some? Doesn't that jump out? Some of you. Perhaps he only knows about some, but if we're correct that this is a cover letter attached with 1 John, and we'll see later what he talks about in the verses to come, it's because some have departed from the church and have become false teachers and antichrists. He is also concerned that others may be tempted to follow those who have departed. And so he is writing to encourage the church to remain steadfast in their commitment to Christ and the pure gospel. He's rejoicing over those who have remained steadfast, who are walking in the truth, and he encourages, writes to encourage them to be on watch, to not be led astray. So he's rejoicing, he's also encouraging and warning. This then brings us to the second section of the letter, the exhortation, verses 5 through 8. First, we have the command to love, verses 5 and 6. Now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. After our study of 1 John, these verses should sound very familiar. This is the commandment that is both old and also new. Originally given to God's people in Leviticus 19.18, but then renewed and made even stronger by our Lord Jesus Christ when he commanded us not only to love one another, but to love even as he has loved us, John 13.34. And thirty-five. We also saw it in John fifteen. Of course, John has also made these commandments very practical. It's not just an emotion, it's not just a word. It's not just to say, I love you and do nothing. First John three eighteen. For those children let us not love in word or talk, but in action and in truth. It needs to be shown in action to encourage a brother, to meet a need. It also needs to be in truth. It is not loving to show a false face, to tell a lie, to avoid a hard conversation when it is needed. As Paul writes in Romans twelve nine, let love be genuine. Let it be sincere. This is how we are called to love one another, just as Christ has loved us. Yes, it is a command, as John highlights here. It is our duty, but it is also to be our delight. It is to be our joy to love one another. After this command to love, John starts to go on the offensive, verse 7, telling his readers to watch out for deceivers. For many deceivers have gone out into the world those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. The first thing to notice about verse 7 is the very first word. See how it's translated here, for, or it could also be translated because. One reason for the command to love is that deceivers have gone out. And one of the church's greatest defenses against deceivers is to love one another in action and in truth. Now, of course, we also need to watch our doctrine, as John is teaching here in verse 7 and in the warning that follows. I think we shouldn't miss this key link between verses 5 and 6 and verse 7. And we saw these same warnings against deceivers and antichrists in 1 John as well. There he highlighted that this was a sign that we are in the last days, even the last hour. The key doctrine that identifies these antichrists is that they are denying Christ's true humanity, that he has come in the flesh. And of course, since this time, other antichrists have come denying other key Christian doctrines. But this particular group of false teachers denied Christ's incarnation. And so John warns his readers to watch out for them. Be on guard. And you see that one way to do that is to guard your doctrine. Watch out who you listen to. This is also tied up with command to love one another. He's putting these two together. You must abide in both truth and love. But John says not only to watch out for the deceivers, but also watch yourselves. Verse 8. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. It's not sufficient to only watch out for external threats, you must also be on guard for the sin that dwells within. It reminds me of Paul's warning to Timothy, shortly after warning him about all those who would oppose his teaching. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Yes, watch out for others, watch out for opposition, but most of all, keep a close watch on yourself. What does this look like? I think it takes us right back to the first chapter of 1 John, where he reminds us to never claim to be without sin, but rather to regularly repent and confess your sins, because God is faithful and just and will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. Keep watch. Yes, watch out for deceivers. Watch yourself as well. From this exhortation to love and to watch, we now move on to the third section of the letter, the warning, verses nine through eleven. We read again verse nine. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ. Does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. In this verse, John sets up a contrast between two kinds of people. The second case is clear. Whoever abides in the teaching, that is, the teaching of Christ, has both the Father and the Son. Clearly, here, John is describing the faithful believer. What does John mean by everyone who goes on ahead, who does not abide? In the teaching of Christ. Notice the result of this. He does not have God. From this result, we can conclude that this is no small departure. This is a departure from the gospel that is serious enough that it disqualifies the person from salvation itself, it puts them outside of Christ. So, John is warning against those who perhaps began in the church but now claim to have moved beyond the gospel to what they now claim are higher, greater, better truths. But of course, to move beyond the gospel is to preach a new gospel, which is no gospel at all. Perhaps you can see the surface appeal of something new, something exciting that claims to go beyond. In fact, I would say that John's warning here, is a warning for every age of the church, very much a warning for our day as well. About 100 years ago, in Machen's Day, the exciting new movement was called Liberal Christianity. They wanted to move beyond the fundamentals of biblical Christianity. They wanted to move beyond what they called the backwards, old backwards beliefs like the inerrancy of scripture, miracles, the virgin birth. Penal substitutionary atonement and the resurrection, those were old, outdated beliefs, and instead embrace new, more enlightened beliefs like the universal fatherhood of God, the universal brotherhood of man, many paths to God through various religions. And John is saying here, no, you can't go on ahead. You must abide in the teaching of Christ. There is only one gospel. And that is what you have received, and you must abide in it. The same thing has continued to repeat itself again and again since Machen's time. The liberal churches have continued to grow more liberal. But even the evangelical churches that held fast in Machen's day have had their doctrinal splits. I won't detail every single one since 100 years ago, but just one I've experienced in my own days about 15 years ago the new thing among evangelicals was called the emergent church at that time the hip new teachings were all about emphasizing love over truth belonging over believing liturgy over doctrine and various other things and so during my college days I read far too many of these emergent books before I was set back on the firm foundation of reformed theology And now I look back and I see it was just the same pattern repeating itself. And today we see the same trends. Of course, there are many varieties of false teachers today, but perhaps the most prominent today, the cool new kid on the block, are those who are applying critical theory, deconstructionism to gender, race, power dynamics, Thankfully, these trends haven't made any headway in the OPC, but we see a fierce battle in our sister denomination, the PCA. So far, it seems that the faithful brothers are holding the line, but it is still a battle, and the battle is not over yet. But these teachings, they go beyond when we are called to abide in the teaching of Jesus Christ. We must abide. We must abide In the teaching of Christ, we must abide in truth and in love. But what are we to do with those who bring such teachings? Let's look at verses 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, that is the teaching of Christ, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. In the original context of the early church, there were traveling teachers who would come to visit the churches and teach at their worship services. They might come with a letter of introduction and some sort of credentials, either from an apostle or from the elders of another congregation, and without that, they would need to present themselves to the local elders and be examined before they were given the opportunity to teach the congregation. Of course, as traveling teachers, they would also need to be hosted in homes And that is why John warns his readers not to even give these false teachers a place to stay. And today we might do things a bit differently. They might have hotels to stay in. But the essentials of the process have not changed. In our Presbyterian government, it is still the responsibility of the elders of our congregation to guard the pulpit from false teachers. They are helped In this, by our regional presbytery that examines, licenses, and ultimately ordains candidates for the gospel ministry, that is to become pastors, before they can preach from our pulpits. And so you won't see someone standing in our pulpit who hasn't been carefully examined and vetted beforehand. Now, let me say this, if you're not an elder, while the elders bear the chief responsibility for this... This does not mean that every member should not have their Bibles open every week, just like the Bereans, searching the scriptures to see whether or not the things proclaimed from this pulpit are in accordance with the word of God. And if you have questions, if you have concerns, don't hesitate. Talk to the pastor, talk to the elders afterwards. We must protect the pulpit We must be on guard against deceivers, against false teachers, against Antichrist. Watch out. And in our age of social media, this means we should not only be careful about who we invite into our homes, who we invite into our pulpit, but also about what we share online. The articles, the videos we post give people a platform. It spreads their teaching. And we don't want to be promoting The ministries of false teachers. Of course, we can also be looking out for one another in this way. If you see a brother or sister post something that is suspect, you can talk to them privately and tell them why you think it might be best to take it down, even issue a retraction if needed. In all this, we must abide in the truth, but we should also do this in love. It is not loving to support false teaching which can lead many astray and lead them to destruction. And so we must heed John's warning here, not to go on ahead and to abide in the teaching of Christ. Not only watching out for the teachers and preachers that we listen to and support, but watching ourselves as well. Watch out for others. Guard your own heart as well. And we come to the fourth and final section tonight, the closing greetings, verses 12 and 13. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. I don't know about you, but for me, having just gone through the pandemic, verse 12 resonates with me in a new way. Even before the pandemic, we've all experienced times when we were far away from friends and family, had to contend ourselves with letters, emails, phone calls, until we could have that joyous face-to-face reunion. Then came the pandemic, and we were thankful to have access to video calls, to live-streamed worship, when we could not meet face-to-face. But we knew that these things were not as good as the real thing. Clearly, John is experiencing a time apart, and he's glad for the opportunity to write, but he is longing to be together with this church that he clearly loves. And so even as he writes to them briefly, it only intensifies his heart longing for the day when he will see them again face to face. He also gives greetings from the church where he is living, likely the church in Ephesus, and just as he greeted his readers uh, as the elect lady, so he calls his home church, your elect sister. And what tenderness, what intimacy we see here between these two sister churches. However, however, when we get to third John next Sunday, we'll see that the plot thickens and it thickens quite a bit. Now well, it's hard to be certain, since these letters are so brief and it's written between people who know what's going on, and so not all the details are here, but based on what we'll see next time in Third John, it seems quite likely that First and Second John were not received by the church when they were first sent. Rather, a man named Diotrephes, a leader in the church that John was writing to, turned back John's messenger and refused to receive either him, the messenger, or these two letters. And so John sends a third letter to an elder there named Gaius, which we'll look at next time. Though this church had been divided by false teachers, though it is attacked on every side, John is not giving up on them. He has not ceased to love them and fight for them. He will send another, a third letter, and even in his old age, he still plans to visit them and do everything he can to restore this church to the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. He is fighting for their souls. He still calls them the elect lady whom I love in the truth. He is still calling them to abide in Jesus Christ, to abide in truth and in love. And while we don't have any extra biblical evidence to tell us the end of the story, I do believe the fact that these letters were preserved as holy scripture is a good sign that there was a happy ending, that this church was restored. And as we close tonight, the question is not what happened to this church, the challenge tonight is for each and every one of you gathered here tonight. What will you do with this letter, the letter of Second John? Are you going on ahead? Or are you abiding? Abiding in the teaching of Jesus Christ, abiding in the pure gospel, abiding in truth and love, so that you might win that reward shall we pray our heavenly father we thank you for this brief letter these brief 13 verses and yet so rich pointing us to jesus christ our savior and the good news that he has proclaimed to us that his salvation is found in him the forgiveness of our sins and the promise of eternal life eternal fellowship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And through this gift we find truth, we find love and love that goes on forever. Father, we pray that you would teach us and help us to abide in this love and in this truth, to walk in it each and every day, to grow in it. We pray, Lord, that we would walk away tonight having grown, having been transformed, and that you would grow even this congregation in this love and truth. We pray it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.